I'm the student pastor here at the church, and Will is not James. Uh, he's not quite that strong looking, but uh, he still does a very good job. And so Will works with our middle school students, so it's kind of neat, uh, the two of us, I guess it's student takeover today, and then his wife sang with him as well, so that's, that's pretty neat to be able to do that. So as you saw, Eric is in Israel, and they seem to be having a good time. I have not heard from them. Uh, it's hard enough to text him when we're here in Columbia. It's even harder when there is a giant ocean in between us, and so uh, we've not heard from them, but as I like to say, no news is good news, and so I think they're having a great time. So we look forward to seeing them back here uh, this week. So please be in prayer for them as they travel back over. And so uh, as we enter in this new year, uh, I just wanted to show you a picture. Uh, this is kind of odd to start the service, but that's my family up there. So that's my, my wife, Emily, and then little Henry I'm holding. Henry turned one yesterday, and so that's hard to believe. So we celebrated his one-year-old birthday. And then uh, the little one who's more interested in his toy, that's William. Some of you know William because of the Christmas service when he walked up here on stage and wanted to try to be the center of attention. He gets that from his mom. And so we, uh, we love him. But what I wanted to show you this picture, if you could show the other picture of William, I think that we have up there. Okay, I forgot about that one. So that's... Uh, that was William over Christmas time. I forgot to put that one on there. So he's going to be uh, the new December issue of the Village Church uh, calendar. So, uh, but that's, that's Henry right there. But the next one of William you can show. There we go. Uh, William is our firstborn. William's going to be three in April. And right after we had William, there were some minor complications that took place. But one of the things that kind of struck a little fear into me and my wife was we went to the doctor and they told us that there was a chance that his skull had already formed when it should not have. And so what we were then struck with was this possibility that we were going to have to go in and William was going to have to have surgery. They're going to have to crack open his skull so that it would grow back properly. During that time of uncertainty, as you could imagine, uh, for me, I was just trying to process everything. I was just trying to think, how as the husband, how as the father, can I just keep everything together? And my wife, obviously, as many mothers would, began to panic and began to, to somewhat freak out. And so I, we didn't really talk too much in the moment. But what I realized is in a moment of uncertainty, what the two of us needed to do was go to the one who was certain in our lives. And that was to God. Now, fortunately, through prayer, we did not have to do that. He is a little hard-headed two-year-old, but his head is perfectly normal as far as we know. But we prayed, and God answered. As we enter this new year, and as we look at today's passage of Scripture, and if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 today. But in this passage of Scripture, what we see is a gentleman who we probably heard all throughout, if you've grown up in church, this man named Zacchaeus. This man who had a life full of uncertainty, a man who was living a very hopeless life, and he was seeking hope in his life. And I believe just like Zacchaeus in this passage, as we step into the year 2020, as we walk into this new decade, as we walk into this new year, as we walk into this new day, that there are many of us who are asking the same question, what is hope? Where do I find hope? And many of us, just like Zacchaeus, are positioning ourselves to remain hopeless 
because we are searching in the wrong direction. So what's the purpose of today? Well, my, the purpose for today's message here is, is this. As we enter into this new year with much uncertainty that's before us, my hope is that you will today find the foundation of hope, who is Jesus in your life. And I really do believe as we look at this passage, there's two people that we're talking to. See, I believe that there are those of you here today that you maybe have thought you have found hope, but you truly don't understand who hope is because you do not have a relationship with Jesus. I do believe as we look into a room with this many people that there are those here today that you are not in a relationship with Jesus. And my hope for you is that you will see the hope of Christ and that today would be the day that you start to build on the foundation of a relationship with Jesus. But I also believe that as we look in this passage, you're going to see many of us who probably fit in this category and that we, we have a relationship with Jesus. We are, are somewhat growing in that relationship, but maybe we've lost that passion. We've lost that zeal. We've lost that excitement. And what's happened is we've kind of gotten caught up into this thing called church, this thing called morality, and that has crept into our lives, and and that has become our God. See, I'm all for morality. I'm all for righteousness. But when we begin to worship morality, when we begin to worship righteousness instead of the God of those things, what we have done is we have created an idol in our life. And though it may look good, it will not satisfy. So I believe that there are many of us here today who are like that. And we will see in this passage of Scripture that reflection of who we are. So as I told you, we'd be in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can read along or you can look up on the screen to the Scripture. But it says this. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. We're talking about Jesus here as he was making his way to Jerusalem. It says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has, gone to, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As we look into this year that may not have much certainty, as we look for certainty in this new year, the first thing that we need to do is we need to do what Zacchaeus has done in this passage, and we need to seek hope. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. I'm very intrigued by this first verse, and this first verse may not seem like it's very intriguing to many, but for some reason, that place, Jericho, just really uh, just sat in my mind. I could not get it out of my mind, so I began to do some more research on Jericho, began to do some more research on Scripture, and wondered why Luke saw it fit because of God asking him to write this or telling him to write this, and in obedience he did. Why would he include this in this passage? See, Jericho 
It's about six miles north of the Dead Sea. It's about six miles west of the Jordan River. And so you had to go through Jericho as you were going into Jerusalem. And so what was happening in this point in Scripture is that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. They were going to celebrate the Passover. It's hard for us to really understand this in our culture. But let me help you try to to understand this. And some of you will understand this a little bit better than than those of us who are Gamecock fans. Because there's going to be this mass exodus out of South Carolina next week down to New Orleans. And so y'all are going to head down that way. And there's going to be at the airport a whole bunch of orange. And everybody's going to think it's Thanksgiving again, but it's not. And so they're going to be heading down there to New Orleans for the game. The same will take place in LSU. But they'll just walk to their backyard. And so they will be down there. And so we'll have this mass exodus away from our homes for this football game. See, now what is taking place here in this passage is the Passover feast was something that was celebrated by everyone in Israel. And so there were thousands upon thousands of people who were migrating into Jerusalem. Not only were all of these people migrating into Jerusalem, but Jesus had these 12 followers who were with him. We know them as the disciples. We see them in Scripture. But not only did Jesus have the disciples, but he had many other followers who were following him. So when we look at this passage, there are a lot of people who are with Jesus at this time. A ton of people which makes you understand why Zacchaeus could not get to him because of the crowd. But why Jericho? There are many ways that Jesus could have entered into Jerusalem, but a lot of times people would go through Jericho because it was considered an oasis. In other words, you were walking through the desert, but all of a sudden there is this place full of agriculture. There is this place that was blossomed with plants. It was known as the Garden City of Jerusalem. In fact, King Herod had a winter home there. So it was a place that people wanted to go to for vacationing. I guess it was the the Caribbean of that desert place. But what we also see in Scripture is this, is that it was a place that was conquered by the Israelites We see Joshua took them through. They conquered the city of Jericho in order to make it to Jerusalem as they began to take ownership of God's promised land. But after they took uh, Jericho, what we see in this passage of Scripture is that Jericho actually was a place that was cursed. Look here in Joshua 6, verse 26. It says this. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. We see in 1 Kings 1634, we see that uh, someone came back through and rebuilt this city. So my point in all this is that Jericho was a place that was cursed. It was cursed because of someone's disobedience in rebuilding its walls, rebuilding its city. So why on earth, Jesus knowing, God Almighty, who is Jesus, who told Joshua to curse this place. Why would Jesus go through this place? See, this is where I see the passage of Scripture setting the tone. Because when we look at Jericho, when we look at Zacchaeus, what we see is these two individuals are ultimately, or this place and this individual are ultimately a reflection of our heart and who we are. See, as a result of sin, we understand that we ourselves are cursed and that we are in need of a Savior. 
And Jesus walked through a cursed land on his way to save us from our sins, to prove to us that he is the Savior. He is the Messiah. And he can go to the most wicked of places and provide salvation. And he wants to come through your heart today if you seek him. So we see Jericho, but we also see this individual named Zacchaeus. And this is where we see the one who is desperate in seeking hope. So as we see Zacchaeus, we see that he was seeking to see Jesus. So what do we know about Zacchaeus? One thing that I find interesting about Zacchaeus is his name actually means pure one. It means pure one. Well, Zacchaeus was anything but pure. What do we see here? Well, we see that in this passage of Scripture, we see that Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. Now, what does that mean? What it simply means is this, is that Zacchaeus was obviously a man who had influence. He had people working underneath him. We also see that he was a rich man. So Zacchaeus was a man of influence, but he had people who were working underneath him. But what we also know as a result of who he is based on his title of being a chief tax collector is he did not earn his money, he took it. People did not like tax collectors because they would come in and and they would take your money. Now, the Roman government operated in, in some ways like our government. There were reasons why, uh, as far as infrastructure or things of that nature, to, to take money so that they could build those things. We see that Rome was a great, great, powerful uh, nation. But what the tax collectors would do is they would often take a little bit more and they would pocket that. Now think about this. If you did not like a tax collector, boy, you would really hate a chief tax collector because the chief tax collector would make them go get a little bit more money. They would then take the money from the tax collector, and all of a sudden they were pocketing a lot of money, and they were very rich financially as a result of what they took. As you could imagine, if you were going out and you were earning a hard living, and all of a sudden somebody was coming and taking your money, you're not going to like that person very much, are you? I'm not going to like that person very much if they come into my house and they take my money. And so what we see, though Zacchaeus was rich, he was still seeking something more. I read an article. It was written back in 2009. It was actually on uh, 60 Minutes on CBS. And in this article, they interviewed Tom Brady. This was after he won his third Super Bowl. And I find it very interesting as we look to finding hope through the things of riches or the things that the world has to offer. This is what he said. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? There's got to be something more than this. What we see in Zacchaeus' life. It's though he had a lot, he was still very empty. What we see based on this quote, and now we know Tom Brady's got a lot more Super Bowl rings, but not this year. We know that he is still hopeless. He's still seeking something more. Why do we seek something more? I love what is written in Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God has put something in our hearts, in our lives, 
That no matter what we do, no matter where we go, we are longing for that satisfaction of hope which only He can provide. So in our nature, God has set that up. He has set that up for us to to love, to want fulfillment. But the problem is we seek it in the wrong way. And rather than finding hope, we find ourselves hopeless. So as we look for certainty this new year, we see that we need to seek hope, that true hope. What good is that if we are seeking the wrong thing? So we look in this passage and we see that we need to seek hope. But the second thing, as we look at Zacchaeus, we realize we need to not only seek hope, we need to see hope. Verse 4 says this, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. I mentioned earlier that Jesus had a lot of followers. So word had gotten out who Jesus was. Jesus was obviously a man of importance. He was a a man who uh, people knew, a man who had great influence. He was performing miracles. They'd heard about that. And so there was some type of attraction towards Jesus. So what we see with Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus was making a judgment based off of what he had heard about Jesus as to why he was going to go and see Jesus and seek Jesus. I showed you a picture of my my little boy, William. Uh, Like most little kids, I'm sure you've probably done this with, with your children or maybe your father did it with you. You know, you, you put them up somewhere high, you take a step back and you say, all right, come on, jump. You know, come on, come on and jump. There's always that first moment of hesitation as they kind of look at you and think, are you crazy? And you're going, yes, I am. And so you're sitting there telling them, come on and jump. Now, my son loves to now play this game. It's almost a bad thing because now he just wants to jump all the time, and so I have to tell him, no, only to Dada and maybe Mama, but especially to Dada. So come on. And so he will then look, and he will know this fact, that what am I always going to do? Drop him, of course. No, I'm going to catch him. I'm going to catch him. Why? Because he's my son, and I love him. See, what he has done is he has made a judgment call to take that step of faith falling into his father's arms. What we see with Zacchaeus is he was doing the exact same thing. He had weighed the facts. He had seen and heard who Jesus was. And he was desperate enough to walk away and climb up a tree because he knew what Jesus had to offer. As I was looking at him, as I was thinking about this passage, I realized that that's really a lot of us. And oftentimes the reason why we do not find ourselves falling into the arms of our Savior is because we have an improper view of who our Savior really is. We think of God as the rule maker, and yes, there are rules. I like to think of them as this way. They're guardrails. They keep us in line. They're ultimately for our benefit, and they're ultimately for God's glory. But we look at him, and oftentimes what we do is we are afraid of God. We hear God, we think big, and rightfully so. But what we allow that fear to do is to make us run away from God rather than run towards God. It's because we have an improper view of who God is. 
That picture I showed you earlier of our family, that was actually on December 23rd. My mother-in-law wanted to get Santa Claus to come over to her house, and us and some other uh, close friends brought their children, and we got to let Santa come and to, to read stories and talk to him. But what also Santa did is he scared the daylights out of almost every child there. I mean, Santa, when you really think about it, it's kind of a creepy dude. But... He's very nice for all the little children who are in here right now. And so uh, one of my friends that I've known pretty much my whole life, he had his little boy. And I asked him yesterday if I could share this story, and he said yes. And so a little boy's name is Smith. Now, when Santa came walking into the room, Smith wanted absolutely nothing to do with Santa. Found himself kind of walking away and just kind of looking at him, as most of the adults were kind of doing as well. But he was very unsure of Santa, because here's this bearded dude coming into this strange person's house, and I got to sit in his lap? You know, I could only imagine what he's thinking. But all of a sudden, Santa did something that changed the mood of the whole evening. He pulled out this giant red bag, and inside that bag were gifts specifically for every child who was at that place. When Smith heard his name and he saw that Santa had a gift, I watched this two-year-old boy stiff-arm his five-year-old sister, almost knock her to the floor, kick stuff out of the way, run up, jump in his lap, and take that gift. And for the rest of the night, that little boy wanted to be next to Santa. Why? Because he saw the gift that was presented to him. See, I think that we are just like that little boy. And that we see God and we're afraid of God, but what we lose sight of is the gift that God has to offer us. And the gift that God has to offer us is eternal life. And for those of us who see that when we see Jesus, we are willing to throw anything out of the way to come before him and embrace that gift and simply look at Jesus and say, thank you. Thank you. It might be a bad relationship. It might be a job. It might be uh, so many different things that we put in our way to talk us out of going for that gift. But when we see that gift and we understand it, let me tell you, nothing else matters. Proverbs 4, 25 through 27 says this. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. We have simply this new year got to throw aside the things that are keeping us from the gift and seek the one who eternally provides, seeing what he has to offer. So what did Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus was willing to put himself in a position not only to seek Jesus, but he wanted to see him. What did he do? This little guy, regardless of what anyone else thought, Climbed up into a tree so that he could see Jesus. So as we enter this new year, we first need to seek hope. We need to see hope. But the last thing is that we need to secure hope. What good is hope if we seek it, yet do not secure it? And what good is hope if we secure the wrong thing, 
we are still hopeless. Zacchaeus knew that the only hope he could truly find was Jesus. It says in verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. You know, that verse might not seem very powerful, but what I want you to know is that that verse is directed to each and every person here in this room. Because Zacchaeus just put himself in position to see Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us that he yelled out, yo, Jesus, I'm up here. No, the Bible just tells us that he positioned himself. He was able to see him. But what did Jesus do? It says when he came to that place, Jesus looked up. See, I believe this. Jesus knew who he was going to meet in Jericho. He knew that there was someone who was of influence, that if his life was changed, think about all the other lives that would be transformed as a result. And Jesus looked up in that tree, and he didn't say, hey, who are you? No. He knew Zacchaeus. So you can run wherever you want. You can try to hide in any place that you can find. But Jesus knows you. The Bible tells us that he knows every hair on your head. He knows everything about you. And you know what he still does regardless of who we are, regardless of our sin, regardless of our nature? He pursues us with love. With love so great that he was willing to die one of the most horrific deaths recorded in all of history so that we could find hope. Verse 6, what did Zacchaeus do? It says, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Verse 7, if you're taking notes, I want you to uh, highlight this or, or just mark this because I think that this is where we see the second person we have talked about in this passage. It says, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Do you find yourself looking at other people, judging them for the decisions that they make? I'm not talking about judging them from the standpoint if they are showing you that there are decisions that are being made in their, their life that does not reflect Christ. And I do believe that there is a judgment that needs to be made on our behalf for those of us who love Jesus and love people who we will see in this passage considered to be lost because we want to see them found. But do you find yourself looking at people and you want their unrighteousness to come to the surface so that it makes your righteousness look a little bit better? When you see that sinner who is saved and think, oh, God can never save them, Kanye West. I heard that over and over and over. But you know who else God saved? He saved you. He saved me. He saved Paul, a proclaimed terrorist in Scripture who would kill just so that the message of the way, the message of Jesus, could be prevented. We look at him, we accept that, but yet we turn on the news and we see a life that seems to be changed, and yet we don't find ourselves rejoicing. Why is that? See, if you want to find true joy, you first find it in Christ. But let me tell you this much. Find joy in others' joy. And when you find joy in others' joy, guess what you get? You get double the joy. 
so my hope is that you begin to see people as Christ sees them rather than looking at them in a way that does not bring us hope. Isaiah 59.2 says this, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Romans 3.23 lets us know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We see in Romans 3.10 that there is no one righteous, no, not one. So when you want to make a judgment call thinking of yourself as being better than somebody else, you need to realize who you are at your core, and we are separated from God. And my prayer is that we are sinners saved by grace. Remember what Christ has done for you and take that hope in loving others. At the end of this passage, we see really the the summary of God's heartbeat in verse 10. It says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That word lost is somewhat frowned upon because we think it gives a negative connotation to it. But I look at the word lost and I see this. When we lose something, what do we do? We search for it. We look for it. Why? Because it has value to us. All of us are lost. What did God do? He left his throne. He came down and he seeks us. Why? Because we have great value in his eyes. A summer or so ago, actually two summers ago, I was planning a youth camp here, and I got word from my wife. She called me, and, and she said, hey, Matthew, uh, our dog is lost. And, you know, I was thinking, okay, we'll go find him, you know, and so I was having this conversation with her. Now, kind of rewind a little bit. At this time, we were moving from our old house and into our new house, and so I was living at, at my in-law's house, yay for me. And so I was living at my, my in-law's house, and it was actually really good. She feeds well. And so we were there, and... Uh, our dog had gotten loose while we were at their house. Well, my in-laws live near a busy road. They live near Decker Boulevard, down near the Whole Foods in, in Columbia. And so I begin to start thinking, wait a second. He could run out onto Decker. I then get another phone call from her. She says that they put it up on Facebook. They have now gone through the neighborhood. They're putting flyers up. And so I begin to get a little more concerned. Now, in the meantime, there's a lot of stuff that we're trying to get done here, so I couldn't really do much. I then get a phone call, a third phone call, and this phone call is when I really got alarmed because my wife, Emily, tells me, your dad has left his office and is driving around Columbia to look for Tanner, our dog. Now, I knew that something was wrong because if you know my father, my dad does not really like animals. He likes to see them about 10 feet away from him. He'll just acknowledge that they're there, but don't get near me. So that's, that's my dad. I knew that if my dad was willing to leave his office, drive around Columbia, then this was serious that our dog was lost. I then get in my car, I'm driving downtown, I'm going to go help on this big search that's taking place, and I'm, I'm starting to really freak out, because I'm starting to think, oh my goodness, I'm preparing for the worst, and I'm about to see my dog somewhere on the side of the road. I then get a phone call from Emily. Have you talked to my mom? No, I've not talked to your mom. She's like, you need to talk to my mom. Why do I need to talk to your mom? Just call my mom. No, you tell me. You know what's going on. You tell me. Don't make me call your mom. All right, but you can't tell anybody. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh. Tanner's gone on to heaven. Matthew, 
He was in the pantry the whole time. <laughs> My in-laws have a boxer. That boxer and Tanner like to play. Tanner went into the closet. The boxer shut the door. Tanner said, you know what? This is freedom. I'm not going to say a word. They yelled inside that house looking for Tanner. Tanner just sat there. He's a smart dog. I would have done the same thing. They don't know I'm here. I'm going to take a nap. And so Tanner stayed in there for, I think, about five hours that day and just chilled out. Didn't eat anything. Dog was so tired, he just slept there. And so I was like, hey, I get it, man. That's awesome. You know, I'm a, I'm a parent. I would do the same thing. But what really got me in that story was this, that my dad was willing to leave and to go look for him. And I thought about this passage of Scripture, and I thought about seeking and saving the lost. See, I believe that there are many of us here today that we are the ones who are lost, but I also think that there are many of us in this church that we need to have the heartbeat that my dad had. Does he love the dog? I'll speak for him. No. But he loves me. He loves my wife. And because it was important to us, it was important to him. All around this community church, there are those who are lost. There are ones that we may not get along with. Their personalities may be different than ours. You know what? That's okay. But we are still to love them like Christ loves us. Mm-hmm.